You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Which, by the way, are you thankful for your church, guys? Man, I hope you are. I am so thankful that I am a part of New Song Church, that God planted me in this body of Christ. And I'm thankful because God is doing so much here. I hope you see that. There's so many amazing things taking place. We're growing in numbers, but that's not even close to the best part. We're growing deeper in our walks with God. We're growing deeper into discipleship. Our vision is getting refined more and more and more. And God is using uh, our family in miraculous ways. And so I wanna let you guys know about some things happening this week. Somebody say this week. This week. week. in the life of our church that I am expecting New Song students to be a part of, okay? Now, these are some things that you might have heard announced on the weekend. Y'all know when they do announcements on the weekend after service and they're like announcing all these things and you're like, oh, they didn't talk about New Song students, so that's not for me. I'm here to tell you tonight, it's for you. These are things I'm expecting New Song students to be a part of and here's why. It's because just because there's not a New Song Students logo slapped on the slide doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be there. This, these events, these things we put on as a church, it assumes that the next generation, you guys, are going to be there. The only thing that you shouldn't be going to that New Song is putting on is like a marriage course because like you, you should not be married and be in a New Song Students crew. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're 15 and married, we need to be talking about something, okay? But other than a marriage course you need to be going to something that new song is putting on. Capiche? And here's why I, be- I believe this so strongly. This is something I believe so firmly as your youth pastor. I believe that as a church, not necessarily a new song, but the church in general, if we're not careful, we can uh, teach and, and act and preach at you guys, youth, students, and we can give you like a watered down murky version of what Jesus has to offer you. Like we give you this like low grade version of Jesus because people in youth ministry tend to think like, well, students can't handle deep. Students can't handle adult conversations. Like, like you guys, you've got the attention span of a goldfish, like smartphones are making you dumb. Like you can't handle talking about God's word for 45 minutes. Like you can't handle that. That's what people think about you guys. They, they say things um, like, man, students, they, they need something that's going to make them want to come to church. Like, they're not going to want to come to church on their own. You've got to have some sort of giveaway. You've got to have all of the vain things, like the lights and the whatever. And here's why I'm saying all this. When we look at you guys, students, like that, what we end up doing is we end up catering to the children we think you are instead of forming you into the adults you're gonna be one day. And here's, here's I know I'm already preaching, y'all, I'm sorry. But here's why I say that, because you guys have taught me that's not the case. And this is why I love you guys so much, I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful to be your youth pastor, because you guys have taught me that you don't need me to baby you. Like, you guys can handle adult topics. Amen? You can handle being taught the word of God. You don't need all the glamor and the hype. Like you guys like church. You love church, right? Amen. You love God, right? 
and we don't need to treat you like babies because you're not. And I, I, and I hope you believe that, right? Amen? Amen. And I want you to know, like myself, my leaders, we see Wednesday nights as being just as important, if not more, than any weekend service that's happening in this church. That's how important this night is for you. And so that's why we treat you guys like adults here. I hope you like that about New Song students. But with all that being said, I wanna let you guys know about things that are happening in the church that you might've thought, oh, that's just for the adults. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. It's for you too. So I'm gonna run through these really quick so you can make sure they are on your radar. First thing is this, this one's for the ladies. Sorry, homies. Sorry, dudes, I always wanna go to Love His and I never get to and it's really unfair. But ladies, Love His is this Friday night. And uh, there's, not, there's not a whole lot I need to tell you about this night. It's, it's gonna be amazing. Pastor Sarah has let us know it's gonna be an amazing night and you're gonna wanna be there. And I heard, I'm not 100% sure, but I heard there's gonna be silent disco. Um, so, and we love silent disco here at New Song Students. So, uh, if you're a lady, if you are a lady, you are, and you're a student, guess what? I'm assuming that you're gonna be at Love His this Friday. No, we'll make, we'll, we'll make room for you, yeah. If you, um, when you go to register, girls, make sure you talk to your mom, your dad, whoever you need to talk to, there is a student ticket. And if money is an issue, please make sure you find me or Molly after service. We're gonna get you there to love his this week. And if there, I didn't know that there's no more tickets available. If there are not, please come and see me. We'll figure that out for you, all right? Next thing is this, discipleship. Somebody say there's a discipleship. Our, our class, or our church does these classes on the weekend called discipleship. And you know what? I don't see enough students in these classes. I'm just gonna, just gonna say it right there. I don't see enough students, but I want to. And Pastor Tonder, I just started a brand new class on the greater works. Somebody say greater works. Greater works. Jesus told us that we're gonna do greater works than him. That's kind of crazy, right? And this class is all about what that looks like. And I would love to see some New Song students at that class this weekend. And I don't care if you missed the first week, I want you to hop on the train this weekend and get in that class. If that's something that you're interested in, make sure you, um, I don't think you need to register because it was for books and they're already, they're already bought. So you might not get a book, but you have a journal, right? Yeah. You have a Being Transformed journal. And if you've got that, that's all you need, okay? So I want to see some students at discipleship. And the last thing, I know I'm running through this really quick, but I got a big message for y'all and I want to get to it. The last thing is this, our Mexico Mission Interest Meeting is this weekend. <laughs> And I know um, we had a lot of students go on this trip last summer, and it was an amazing trip. If you were there, you know. But man, this is an incredible opportunity for you. If you've never been on a mission trip, Mexico is an awesome place to go. This is the first place I went to in high school on a mission trip, and it will be a very eye-opening trip for you. And if you've never been a part of a mission trip, come to this interest meeting this weekend in the adult classroom at 11 a.m., I believe. And remember... This is an interest meeting. <laughs> so that means if you go to the meeting, you're not signing up for the trip, you're not like signing your soul away, and you have to go on this trip. It's an interest meeting. Somebody say interest meeting. You're just interested. You just want some deets, right? I just want some deets. That's what it's for. So those are the three things I wanna see some students at this week. Sound good, y'all? Yeah. All right, I'm ready to get in the word. Y'all ready to kick off this brand new series? Let's go, okay. I need you to get whatever you need to take some notes. You might just grab that envelope card right in front of you because some people do that. 
But take notes on your phone. Take notes, y'all, because this is, an, a, this is a powerful posture that says to God, I believe you're going to speak to me tonight. Maybe you need to move seats because the person you're sitting next to, you love them, but they're going to distract you. Guess what? That's okay. I'd actually be so proud of some people if they got up and moved right now. Anyway, I'm ready to get into this word tonight. Let's do this. I'm going to uh, kick off this series. We're starting a series. Let's go. Come on. We are starting a series tonight called Not My Own. Somebody say, Not My Own. Not My Own. And I want to just start off this series reading to you three passages of Scripture that that really gave me the heart for this series. And I'm gonna read them to you, and I'm just gonna let the word do the talking before we pray. Like, I'm not gonna explain them to you. You know, sometimes I like to just like not give you all the answers and let you think, right? So I'm gonna read uh, these three verses, and I want you to soak up this word. We're gonna let the word of God do the talking. We're gonna pray, and we're gonna get into this message tonight, week one. Y'all ready, New Song students? Verse one is this, if you're taking notes. James 1.17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Second verse is this, 1 Corinthians 6.19, this is my favorite one. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Okay, that's interesting. Your body, you received it. Because look at this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Last one is this, Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14, it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. God gave you your name. You didn't, God gave that to you. Your parents didn't give that to you. God gave you that name, that family, your body, your soul, your spirit. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, didn't come from you, his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Somebody say, not my own. Let's pray. And we're gonna get into this word tonight. Father, I thank you so much for my New Song students' family. And God, I just, I pray for those in the room who walked in tonight with some heavy burdens. Um, I pray for those tonight who have maybe a little bit of a distorted view of who you are, who they were created to be, how they're supposed to relate to you. God, tonight in this series, Um, As we kick off this series, God, I pray that you would reveal to every single heart how good it is to be a child of God, how amazing it is, how freeing and how joyful we should be when we remember, oh, I'm a child of the King. So God, I pray that every student would get a a fresh revelation of that tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said... Amen. Not my own. Okay, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is going to be a really good series. I believe it's going to be, for some of you in the room, it's going to be a, an extremely eye-opening series for you. It's going to change the way you see God. For some of you, it's going to change the way you look at yourself, you interact with your heart. For some of you, it's going to completely change the way you see the world 
around you. It has, this series has the potential to radically shift your perspective, like the way you see everything in life. And here's why I think it has such a radical uh, potential in this series. It's because we currently live in what I think is the most individualistic and the most entitled culture in all of history. The most individualistic and the most entitled culture in all of history. Amen. Welcome to New Song Students. Be encouraged, right? Look at your neighbor and say, be encouraged. <laughs> I know that's like a hammer that I'm just throwing us at right at the very beginning, but I want to get into this. Please hear me. I'm not saying that you are the most individualistic person that I know, because you're probably not. And I'm not saying that you are super entitled. What I am saying is that the culture that we all find ourselves living in, this is the mentality that we swim in. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is the mentality that we swim in. We can't really escape this kind of mentality just because we're believers, just because we're Christians, just because we're from another world. We're from a different kingdom. We don't live under the kingdom of this world. It doesn't change the fact that we still live in America, right? Yeah. We still live in this type of culture that is these two things, individualistic and entitled. Okay, so you might be familiar with these two words, but what, am I, what, am I, what do I mean when I say these two words? Well, the first one is this. If you take notes, here's a definition of what individualistic means. It means favoring freedom of action for individuals over collective or state control. Okay, what does that mean in like English, right? <laughs> that means for the majority of people in our world today, if they are given two options, okay, option A, somebody say option A. Option A is it's the, whatever happens is going to benefit you alone. And option B is this outcome is going to benefit like you and other people, or it's just going to benefit other people. Majority of people in our culture are going to pick which option? Which option are they going to pick? Option A. They're going to say, hey, you got to do you, man. You ever heard somebody say that? You do you, man. Hey, you got to do what you got to do to get to the top. Hey, the ends justify the means, right? It doesn't really matter how you get there. It doesn't matter if you cheated people. It doesn't matter if you walked all over people or ruined somebody's life for your happiness because like, dude, happiness is the goal for everybody, right? Yeah. You gotta do you. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the mentality of our culture. To be individualistic means to have a focus of me over everybody else. But what about entitlement? You ever heard about that word entitlement before? Yeah. What does that mean? Well, an individualistic person, it, that mentality is a mentality that if we live in, it leads to entitlement. What is entitlement? Here's the definition of entitlement. Believing one's self to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Okay, what does that mean in English? Some of y'all are like, Jackson, you're giving me some big definitions tonight. I know. But remember, y'all can handle it, right? What does entitlement mean? It means you don't just want, like, happiness. You don't just, like, want good things. It means you believe that those things were literally designed for you. <laughs> like, that dream that you want, that relationship you want to be in, that thing that you want, it's not that you just want that thing or that person or that whatever. That thing is literally you deserve that thing. Like, it's yours because we deserve happiness. I read this article this week, and it's from Simply Psychology. It says this. Can you all hang with me? I've got some 
thick quotes tonight, okay? Simply Psychology says this, fundamentally, individualism is a belief that the individual is an end to themselves. Consequently, individuals are obligated to realize and find the self and cultivate their own judgment regardless of social pressure encouraging conformity. Okay, I know I'm giving you a lot. What does this mean in English? What it means is, and what I'm trying to say to you tonight, is it's not necessarily bad to have dreams. It's definitely not bad to be an individual. It's not bad to want happiness. Does anybody want those three things in life? I want all of those things in life. None of those things are bad. But when individualism, when this me mentality leads to entitlement, what it leads to is you and I think that the whole world revolves around me. Everything revolves around me. And nobody's going to like flat out say like, hey, I think the world revolves around me. Like I've never heard anybody admit that. But a lot of people live their life that way, right? They live their life that way. And this kind of me mentality leads to all sorts of hurt people, broken individuals, broken culture. It leads to a lot of pain. This kind of mindset, um, it, it, it challenges and changes the way you view everything in life. In fact, this article that I read this week from Simply Psychology, they, they outlined four areas in our culture in America where this kind of me mentality is having a massive effect on people. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first one is this, the effects of a me mentality, it affects number one, self-concept. This, this kind of me mentality is characterized by a focus on, sense, on, on, on my happiness, on, on doing things that help me feel like I'm achieving something, that I'm, uh, that I'm receiving meaning by doing this thing. And I thought this was interesting. This article talks about how in America today, this kind of individualism, this me mentality has actually led to majority of people spending a lot less time doing leisure activities. So what does that mean? That means like spending time at home with your family, eating a good meal with your family at the dinner table, being active, uh, going on walks, like doing leisurely things. Our country spends way less time doing leisurely things and we spend way more time working at our jobs. Like adults spend way more time working than they do chilling. And some of us are like, well, that's a good thing, right? Pastor Jackson, you should be working. Well, yeah, but not when it's at the sacrifice of all of your relationships and your family and your own happiness. Because what ends up happening is our our country has gotten this lie that, man, if I'll just sell my soul to my job and make all of this money, then I'll be able to do the things that make me happy. But what ends up happening is people become slaves to their jobs. They lose their family. They lose their friends. They burn out. And it's this kind of me mentality that drives this self-concept. Because if I stop working, if if I don't have money, do I mean anything? Will I really be happy? Number two is this. This me mentality affects our relationships. It affects our relationships. This kind of me mentality um, looks like this. I'll be your friend as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Like we can be tight as long as your goals line up with my goals. But, but the second they don't line up with what I'm, where, I, where I'm heading and what I'm doing, sorry about you, but I got to go find some friends that look like me and act like me and do everything for me, right? Wow. This kind of me mentality 
what it does is it, it keeps us from ever being in a relationship long enough where we break past surface level conversations because we're so scared that if somebody finds out who I really am, man, they might reject me. So I'm gonna reject you before you can reject me. And what this, ends up, this me mentality ends up doing is creating a lot of really lonely people. The third thing is this. This me mentality affects conformity. Somebody say conformity. Y'all still awake in there? What in the world is conformity, Pastor Jackson? This is basically, it affects our ability as people to be a team. It affects our ability as people to be a family, to be a unit. This kind of me mentality causes us to think like, man, I would rather be alone and different than look like everybody else. And this is a really hurtful thing to society. Like sometimes you see this in sports, right? Like, you know, you've got that player who's like the top dog. You see this a lot in like basketball. I would know because I watch a lot of basketball now. I was telling some people tonight, I don't know what happened y'all, but I watch basketball now. This is like a, a two week thing, it just happened. And so I know a lot about basketball. But you'll, you'll see this, right, in basketball. You'll have these star players and it's like, dude, I gotta do what I need to do to make it to the league. Or I gotta do what I need to do to, to make it to whatever, to, to be the next LeBron, to, to beat this record in shots, right? But what ends up happening is I sacrifice being a team player. I don't know how to be a team player because I'm so focused on me and my success that I actually rob everybody else on the team from succeeding as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. This kind of me mentality affects conformity, the way we act as a team, as a unit. And the last thing is this, number four, this me mentality affects our mental health. Our mental health. I'm just gonna read this to you from this article because it says it way better than how I could. It says, those from an individualistic culture have smaller and less satisfying support networks. They don't have as many deep friendships. Less skill in managing both self and others' emotions. Lower intentions to seek help from family, friends, and personal for personal and suicidal problems and higher levels of hopelessness and suicide ideation than those of collective cultures. So what does that mean? Cultures like ours in America who are so focused on me, we have a lot harder time going to people when we really need help, especially mentally with our mental health. And what it's caused is we have like, like the highest suicide rates, depression, anxiety. But if you were, look, if you were to look at um, cultures that are way more collective, like you've got the whole family, like multiple generations living in a home, you're not gonna see those same statistics. Now I know, uh, and, and by the way, these are just like four areas that affects us like on a, on a human level, but this article doesn't even go into like the spiritual effects of a me mentality. And the spiritual effects of a me mentality are, are far greater than any of the, the worldly effects. In fact, write this down. This is the best way I could put this this week. The biggest, the biggest effect it has on us is we see God as way smaller than he really is and we see ourselves as way bigger than we actually are. This me mentality causes me to see God as way smaller than he actually is and myself, my abilities, my, my strength as way bigger than I actually am. Now, why am, I, why am I starting off this series talking about individualism and entitlement? Like, I thought this was a series about like things God gives us. 
That doesn't, I'm confused. Here's why. It's because the culture we live in has adopted this me mentality, this mentality that says the world revolves around you. But listen to me, as a follower of Jesus, when you are born again, when you're adopted into the family of God, when you're a part of a new kingdom, guess what? You're invited to live from a completely different mentality. You're invited to, because we are a part of an upside down kingdom, right? And this new mentality that we are invited to live from is actually really hard to live from in our culture because it is completely opposite to the world we live in, right? Let me give you a couple scriptures that show you just how opposite the kingdom mentality that we're invited to walk in is. First one is this, Matthew 10, 39 says, he who has found his life will lose it. When you finally get what you thought you wanted, it's gone. But he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, 25, this is Jesus saying that in another way. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If your whole life is about like constantly getting what you want, you're never going to have what you want. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can you handle some more? Matthew 16, 26. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world? If you, what, what happens if you got the whole, whole world, but you lost your soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Philippians 3, 7. I love this. This is Paul talking. He says, but whatever things gain, were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things. Somebody say all things. All things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. What is Paul saying? There is nothing better than knowing Jesus. Nothing compares to being in relationship in right standing with Jesus. I got one more for you. We read it at the beginning. Such a good passage. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own. The world says, you do you. You're your own person. Scripture says, no, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, when, you, uh, when, when all of us, when we're born again, the mentality of the world says, the world revolves around you. You gotta do what you gotta do. Seek your happiness. Do whatever you need to do. Your dreams come first, bro. But that mentality, when you become a believer, comes crashing into a completely different mentality that says, yes, God loves you more than you could ever know, but life's not about you anymore. God loves you more than you could ever understand, but it's not about you anymore. Lay your life down and you'll find it. Lay your, lay your dreams down and you'll get God's dreams, which are actually supposed to be your dreams. You don't live for you anymore. You live for Christ. And the crazy thing about this is this kind of mentality sounds so backwards to the world, like the world hears this and they think like, no, that's like slavery. If I give my life away, how do I get life? Like it doesn't make sense. It seems so backwards to the world, but this is where the joy is. Like this is where the freedom is. It's not in getting what you wanted. It's actually in losing what you thought you needed. And it's in, it's in this place that says, I'm not my own. Everything that I have, it was given to me. Everything that I have was given to me. Guess what? You don't owe me anything. 
because everything I have was given to me from God. And when you start to get this revelation that what Jesus paid for you and what you, what you have as a believer, it, it opens you up to be able to live in the abundant life Jesus talked about. You ever heard preachers talk about the abundant life? Does anybody want that? Man, I want that, but we're gonna talk about how you actually walk in the abundant life. And it's backwards to what our world thinks. So the first gift that we're gonna talk about with the remaining time we have, I know this is kind of like a two-part message. I had to set up for the whole series. So now we're in part two, right? The, the, the thing that I wanted to focus on, the gift that God gives to us that is not our own, that I think is the most important, the, the greatest thing, if you'll get a revelation of it tonight, and it's the righteousness of God. Something that is not our own, but is given to us, righteousness. There's this crazy thing that happens at the moment a person is born again. The moment a person chooses to lay their life down for Jesus, they're born again, they receive a righteousness that's not their own. And sometimes in America, we have this like low view of what the good news is. You ever heard about the good news, the gospel? We hear this word a lot and we're like, yeah, I know what the good news is. Like I get to go to heaven. That's the good news. And yes, that's part of the good news, but, but the good news is so much greater than that. In fact, it's so great um, that sometimes we don't actually see this good news translate into a person's life. Like a lot of believers don't actually know how good the good news actually is because if they did, all Christians would be like the most happiest people in the world. Christians would be the most free people in the world. All Christians should be the most upbeat, happiest, joyful people, thankful people on the planet because they've received the good news. But sometimes this isn't always the case. Sometimes believers aren't the happiest. And I'm not saying it's bad to have emotions. Please hear me. But what I am saying is that sometimes Christians are like the most covered in shame. They're like the most people that are striving more than anybody in the world because they think they have to earn something from God. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the good news of Jesus Christ is so much greater than that. It's so much greater than that. And I know it because, man, I, I've lived this kind of mentality before. I've been in that place where I remember when I got saved, I gave my life to the Lord my senior year of high school, and I went straight into Bible college after getting saved and graduating high school, and I had this mentality that I needed to do things to get God's approval. Have you ever been there before? Yes. I felt like I needed to do things to, to like live up to my God-given potential and so I started, you know, I got saved and I was like, okay, I need to start doing spiritual disciplines. You ever heard of those before? Yeah. Things like being in, your, being in the Bible, praying. Now, we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot here at New Song Church. I believe in daily, weekly, consistent spiritual disciplines. I'm talking about prayer, fasting, scripture, like all the time. I believe in that. But when I first got saved, man, I would find myself doing some of those things. And every time it's like I got away from reading my Bible, I the first thought was, I probably should have done a little bit more. <laughs> I'm never doing enough. Wow. Every time I was doing something for God, I left feeling like it wasn't enough. Or I would leave doing something from God and then I would see somebody else doing something for God and I would compare what I did. Wow. Have you ever done that? Yes. And you're like, oh, they're doing that longer than me. Maybe I need to be praying a little bit longer. So God thinks I'm as awesome as them, right? 
Have you ever had that thought before? Yeah. Now, please hear me. I am all for spiritual disciplines. I'll preach them till the day I die. I believe in scripture every day, prayer every day. But here's what I'm saying. Uh, the, the way you start a spiritual discipline matters. Like your motivation, because you can do all of the spiritual disciplines, but you can do them from a wrong starting place. Here's what I mean by this. Spiritual disciplines are not about doing the right things in order to gain approval from God. They're about ordering our life in a way that reflects I'm already approved by God. What does this mean? Because this little difference changes everything about how you do spiritual disciplines. Because this means, okay, I don't read my Bible so that God loves me. No, no, no. I read my Bible because God loves me. And I need to be reminded of that every day because I forget. This means that I don't pray to just check off the list and be like, I prayed today. No, 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 I pray because I love God and God made a way for me to come to him boldly and communicate with him, the author and finisher of the universe. That's why I pray. Do you see how this changes everything? Like when you're saved, the most amazing thing happens, you receive not just righteousness. I want you to get this. You receive the same righteousness of Jesus. Like, I know you've probably heard this before, but I'm just going to keep saying it until you finally get it, okay? When, when, here's how good the good news really is. And I want you to lean in with me for this quote. It's not going to be up on the screen, but I want you to lean in with this for a second. Before Jesus you literally could not do anything in your own power to be good enough for God. But because of the cross of Jesus, you can receive a righteousness that you literally could not do anything on your own power to own. Does that make sense? Before Jesus, you couldn't get the righteousness. Then after Jesus, you get the righteousness and you still couldn't do anything to earn it. That's how good the good news is. When you're born again, God sees you the same way he sees Jesus. The same way. And Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus was perfect, y'all. <laughs> Literally perfect. Like even Jesus experiences this kind of amazing approval from God. When he's baptized, do you remember this? In scripture, when he's baptized, um, he doesn't receive a righteousness. that He was already righteous. He's per perfect. He's never sinned. But the scripture says that he comes out of the water and God says something to him. And it's interesting because Jesus up until this point has done nothing that he's called to do yet. He hasn't said any parables yet. He hasn't healed anybody yet. His ministry hasn't started yet, but he comes out of the water. And you know what God says to Jesus? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Like think about that for a second. Jesus hasn't done a single thing for God yet besides honoring him and loving him in private, he comes out of the water and God says, I'm proud of you, Jesus. Yeah. And this is how God sees you yeah. after salvation. God sees you and me and he says, I'm pleased with you. And for some of us, our gut reaction is, yeah, but God, I still struggle with blank. Oh, come on. Yeah. Do you hear me? God says, I'm pleased with you. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but God, I still struggle with blank. How, what do you mean you're pleased with me? I haven't read my Bible in weeks. I haven't read my Bible in months and you're pleased with me? Yeah. 
God is pleased with you. I'm not saying it's okay to not do those things. But what I am saying is God sees you the same way he sees Jesus. And this is a kind of righteousness that you receive as a believer that's not your own. And a great picture of this is in a parable that Jesus shares with us. I'm going to go a little long. Is that okay with you guys? Um, actually, I got plenty of time. Shoot, what am I talking about? y'all? I got 17 minutes? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, this parable is a parable Jesus shares, and it is an amazing picture of what happens at the moment of salvation in a person's life. And I want to read the whole thing to you. It says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of them was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Look at this. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. He did like a Darth Vader choke on this dude. (laughs) And he said to this guy, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you the debt. Does this sound familiar? Like, is it just me or did this literally just happen, right? Did this just happen? Okay, just making sure. Y'all are a little quiet tonight. (laughs) So he gets down on his knees, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, Uh uh-oh, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to the master. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy uh, as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay the debt so also my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive a brother from your heart. Okay, I love this parable. This is an iconic parable from Jesus. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this one before. And this is a parable that Jesus is sharing because the the context of it is right before Peter is asking Jesus, yo, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? Because Peter's a little stubborn like that. So Jesus gives him this parable. But this is not just a parable about forgiving people. This is a, per- a perfect parallel about what happens when a person is saved, yeah. when a person becomes a Christian. And there are so many things that I could pull out of this, but I want to just pull out four things that we see in this parable that relate to us when we are saved. And this is so amazing for us to get so that we know how good the good news is. Does anybody want to know how good the good news really is? Okay, in in order to know how good it is, you got to start with how bad we really were. Number one is this. There is an unpayable debt. Jesus tells us this parable about this king that discovers that there were 10,000 talents missing, which I don't know how you miss that. (laughs) 
because Bible scholars tell us that 10,000 talents equates to around like 12 million to $1 billion. So I don't know what this servant was buying, y'all. Like, I don't know what kind of shoe game this guy got into, but, but he was $1 billion in debt. And the funny thing is, like, the king was like, oh, hey, wait, I think I'm missing a billion dollars, which is just funny. But the point has nothing to do with the amount. It doesn't matter about the amount. What, what Jesus is trying to show us is the debt cannot be paid. Like, it's so big, it can't be paid. And an important understanding uh, of, and it's important to know this, to know just how good the good news is, we have to start by knowing just how bad our debt was, just how bad sin actually was. Because the reality is most people who aren't saved, they don't know that they even have a debt in the first place. Like, have you ever heard somebody say, like, why does Jesus, why do I need to ask Jesus to save me? Save me from what? I don't need saving. You ever heard that? You ever thought that? Can we talk, can we be honest in church? Well, the case, the reality is what Jesus is pointing to is actually this, it's this theological term. We're going to go deep tonight. It's this term called total depravity. Somebody say total depravity. depravity. It sounds totally depressing, right? (laughs) That's because it is. (laughs) But it's actually really good news. So I want to talk about this really quickly. What in the world is total depravity? Okay, well, this uh, theologian, Robert Lithium, says this. In short, the reality of total depravity leaves no possibility of salvation by our own efforts. It points to our dire condition for the, from the fall. So from Adam and the Garden of Eden and the sin and sin nature coming in and the sovereignty of God's work in our life to rescue us. Only the Holy Spirit can change us and transform us into the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. This is, this is the good news of total depravity. And I want you to get this. This is and should be cause for unbounded thankfulness to God and delight and grace in his goodness in Christ. So what is total depravity? Total depravity is you and me recognizing we are that servant in the parable. Do you hear me? We are that servant with the unpayable debt. I wanna read some scriptures to you. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? For the wages of sin is death. Is this familiar to you? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6:18. Therefore as one as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Adam's sin led to everybody being born into a sin nature. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Because of Adam everybody is born into this unpayable debt. Because of Jesus we all get to receive a righteousness that's not our own. This is good stuff y'all. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. God did that. God saved you. It's the gift of God, not a result of, what's that word? Works. Man, I hope this is hitting somebody tonight. So that no man may boast. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this, but unless the weight of the burden of sin is felt, 
the gospel can mean nothing to men. What is he saying? If you don't really know how bad your sin was, the gospel means nothing to you. But when you finally know, oh, man, I had a debt that I literally couldn't pay, it changes everything. Um, Another theologian, um, J.A. Wilson, that's a joke, that's me. (laughs) I hope people remember me one day by J.A. Wilson. J.A. Wilson says this, in order to (laughs) live, y'all gotta let me read it. Look at that, that's official. J.A. Wilson says, in order to live in the freedom we truly have received, or y'all, y'all make me laugh too hard. <laughs> now I got to restart. Take two. <laughs> in order to live in the freedom that we have received, that's a righteousness that's not our own, we must understand how unrighteous we are without God's help. So good. Total depravity doesn't make sense in a culture that says, you're good. Like, you're good, bro. You don't need saving. You're fine. You don't need Jesus. But just because people don't see the debt doesn't mean it's not there. David Guzik says this, some never know that they were out of peace with God, but they were like drivers who ignored the red lights of the police car in their rearview mirror. They are in trouble even though they don't know it, and soon it will catch up to them. This is how a lot of people live their lives. They don't even know there's a debt. This is why, like, knowing the Bible is so important. Because in order to know what I've been given, I have to know what was missing first, right? Now, I get it. Like, this whole section right here has been, total depravity has been totally depressing, right? Where's the good news in this? Here's what this leads to. When I know that there was an unimaginable debt, Now I can see there is an unimaginable gift. There's been an unimaginable gift because God is like this king. Jesus is trying to get you and I to understand that God is the king in this parable who sees your debt, he sees your sin, and instead of doing what he should do, which is make you pay for it, he wipes the debt clean. God is like this king who saw the $1 billion debt that you could work for eternity for and still never fully fulfill, and he wiped it clean for you. But what we also see, and this is an important part of the good news that people don't realize, there's a cost to forgiveness. Like, think about this. We don't think about this, but there's a cost to forgiveness. The cost that this king had to lose was not getting his $1 billion back. Does that make sense? Like, it's not like this king was just doing this guy a favor by being like, nah, you don't owe me anymore. Like, by forgiving that debt, that means he didn't get the money back. It costed him something. And this is a picture of, guess what? Jesus. The cost of the righteousness that we live in. You know, there was a cost. Jesus was willing to pay that cost. God can't just look at our sin and snap his fingers and make it disappear. He had to do something about it because the wages of sin is death. So what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, paid the ultimate price. Why? So now you can have that unimaginable gift. Amen. 
This is amazing, New Song students. I hope that the cross never gets old to you. Like, I pray that you never get tired of, of hearing about how incredible it is that Jesus took your sin and that now God sees you the same way he sees Jesus. I know that's like, we think that's elementary. I'm telling you, we're gonna be in heaven forever being blown away at that truth right there. I hope this never gets old to you. I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. The last thing that we find in this parable is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. There's a response to forgiveness. There's a response. And in the parable, the servant had the wrong response. His unpayable debt, it's wiped clean. He, he's now in right standing with the king. He's righteous to the king. Does this make sense? The king sees him as righteous, but it's almost like this servant has like amnesia or like short-term memory loss. He's like Dory and he forgets what literally just happened because he leaves he finds a person that owes him money and he, he forgets what has just happened to him. This amount is way less than what he owed the king. And he looks at this guy and says, you owe me. He says, you owe me. What we see is a wrong response. And it took place because he forgot. He, he didn't remember the debt that he was just forgiven from. And you know what? Man, I relate to this because I forget all of the time what God has done for me. Like there are times when I'm here on a Sunday or a Wednesday and like, I'm so fired up about God. I hope you probably feel this way too. You're like, it's like God is in the room. He's so real. The faith is rising. The joy in the room is rising. God is amazing. And I'm just gonna be real with you. Sometimes I find myself on Tuesday being afraid of things I don't need to be afraid of. Why? Because I forgot. I forgot, wait a second, I'm a child of the king. Wait a second, I'm righteous. Why am I scared of this? Why am I looking at this person and saying, you owe me something? They don't owe me anything. Do you see? We forget, we forget. So as we close, man, I just wanna end with this. I wanna answer these simple questions, these three questions. How should this righteousness this crazy gift that we get to receive freely the moment we're saved. We never have to earn it. You never have to read your Bible enough to get this righteousness. You get it the second you're saved. How should this change the way we view myself? How should it change the way I see God? How should it change the way I see the world? Are you ready for it? I'm gonna answer these three real quick. First one is this. How should this change my view of me? It's in this one phrase right here. I can rest. I can rest. Like New Song students, there's not a single thing that you can do for the rest of your life that'll make God love you less. And there's not a single thing, good thing that you can do for him that'll make him love you more. For the rest of your life. Like think about that. Think about how freeing your life can be when now, for the rest of your life, you don't have to like, when you sin, you don't have to look at yourself and like start to beat yourself up and like be covered in shame. And I get that, I've been there before, I've felt that before. But when you get this revelation of the righteousness that you receive that's not your own, that means when I sin, 
Sure, I should feel the pain from that, but then the second I'm done feeling that, I need to look at God and say, God, I thank you that I'm still righteous in your eyes. The righteousness of God means I can rest. I don't have to strive anymore for God. I don't have to do anything anymore for God other than be transformed into his image, which guess what? He's gonna do that through me. The second thing is this, how should this change our view of God? Here's the phrase I want you to remember. I can come boldly. You don't have to come to God and think you have to impress him. You don't have to have the right prayer. You don't have to say big fancy words. You don't have to have a perfect track record of your week. Guess what? Because you're the righteousness of Christ, you can just come boldly. No fluff. You can just come straight to God. A.W. Tozer says this. This is like been my favorite quote this week. He says, the man who comes to the right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporary problems. The way I view God matters. And man, if I don't see God as a God who has given me righteousness and loves me, then the rest of my life, I'm gonna try and work to get his approval. But if I see God rightly, I can come boldly to him. Is this helping anybody tonight? The last thing is this, how does this change my view of the world of people? It's this phrase right here, I can give freely. Because guess what? Nobody owes me anything. I've already received the greatest gift I could have ever received and Jesus gave it to me. So like, if you hurt me, that's okay because you don't owe me anything. God's got me. You know what else this does? It changes our view from the world of seeing like them as like, oh, they're bad people. And instead we see them as like people who, yeah, they're bad because they have an unpayable debt that they're trying to pay on their own. And they need Jesus just like me. So I can freely give. New Song students, you are not your own. And my question to you tonight, as we get ready to close, is what would it look like for you to actually remind yourself every day that that is what you get in Christ? This kind of righteousness, I'm telling you, it would change everything. It would change everything. You can't pay the price, God already paid it. So don't waste time trying to pay for something God already paid for. God loves you. Your life is not your own and tonight, I believe God wants to give you a fresh revelation of the fact that, man, you have a righteousness that is not your own. Amen, would you buy